That was good. It was a good time. It was a good thing to be with everyone and see uh, where we're going and what we've been doing, this sort of thing. And we'll talk more about that later. So we're going to finish up this week. We're going to finish up our s- sermon series because Jeff spoke last week, just kind of a special message. But this is going to be the last message of our uh, Worship Is series that we've been doing th- for the month of October. And it would have ended last week, but then Jeff came. So it didn't. It's ending this week. And the next week, Mariana is going to speak. Then we have one other thing, and then we're going to be immediately into the Christmas time. And we're going to go through and just focus on the coming of Jesus during Christmas time, and because uh, that's what it is. <laughs> and we're going to look at all those scriptures in kind of a two-way, you know, Jesus coming the first time, Jesus coming the second time, this kind of thing. And also uh, just do the whole Advent bit and all that kind of thing. And then... After that, we're going to study the book of John from January till Easter. So it's going to be a long time in the Gospel of John, and it's going to be, I think, really good. But I just want to give you a heads up of where we're going. But today is part five of our Worship Is series, and it's kind of the conclusion. It's like the beginning part uh, when we said worship is for God. This is the conclusion, which is in spirit and in truth. And we're going to actually look at the story and the scripture where that comes from. And I want to move quickly through this because... um, I have lots of things that feel like deep thoughts to me, but I also think that uh, they're not that deep or necessary. <laughs> when we started this whole series, I used as a definition of worship, which is something I got from Joseph Garlington, which I thought was really good, which was worship is correctly responding to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I really liked that. I mean, we went through the Webster's and some of these other definitions, but still I thought this kind of got at the definition the best. Like, what does it mean to worship God? It's like, well, to correctly respond. And I think that it, as a basis, that's, I like that going forward. I like that as a, um, just a good definition. And then we looked in the other weeks of, you know, when Steve and Marianne were talking about the pattern of the tabernacle and how, you know, God gave us this organized way and this picture of heaven touching earth and this whole thing. And then also Gary and Kalani helping lead us through um, different Hebrew words for praise and worship that are expressive, the lifting of hands, the shouting, and all this kind of stuff, and how all of this ties together, I think, is this spirit and truth thing. But all under this umbrella of that this is the definition we're kind of talking about, correctly responding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, because you can incorrectly respond. And people do. If you read the Gospels, or as we go through the Gospel of John, you'll see some people responding correctly, and other people <laughs> responding incorrectly. So it's not like a default that you just respond correctly. That's part of our, that's what our worship is. Or they don't respond. Some people don't respond, you know. We don't want to be those people. We want to be responding correctly and responding, you know. And so we're going to take a look today at a story of somebody who is responding to Jesus, and they come into collision with Jesus at a time they didn't think they were going to. And I want to just break this down. Sometimes we'll talk through a scripture where, this way where we read a chunk, we talk about it. We read a chunk, we talk about it. And that's what we're going to do today. And I'm just going to ask some probing questions because I want you to think of yourself in this situation, or at least sort of. You know, we're going to pull from this some deeper truths, which is why I think they've included this um, in this gospel, which is the gospel of John, John 4. So we're going to encounter this again in a couple months. Um, it's the story of the woman at the well. And that's where this phrase, in spirit and truth, comes from in the Bible. And so I'm going to pray and then just read this. So, Father, I pray that you would meet us here in this time and help us to hear 
from you what you would like us to hear. So it's John 4. The whole thing is 1 through 42. We're going to go mostly through all of that, but not... Um, there's a second chunk we're going to leave out for today. Um, so starting at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptized, who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, which... One other thing. I was at this Malachi Network board meeting. So because we're doing this, we're doing what we study here... The children worship and pray with us, and then they go to study the Bible separately from us, but they're studying this exact same story, all right, this exact same scripture. And in order for us to do that, we have to plan ahead, which is not my gift. <laughs> and, but we've planned to be speaking on this for, I don't know, two months on this day. Again, not my gift, but I was up there at this worship. Part of the board meeting was a worship conference, and Pastor Jeff was charged to speak the first message on Friday, and he spoke this exact scripture. So I was kind of like, I'm going to steal all the good parts. One of the good parts that I didn't think or know is that when it says, now he had to go through Samaria, he did not. If you look at a map, he doesn't have to go that way. He kind of chooses to. That's an interesting thing to, to start, and we'll credit Pastor Jeff for that. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's, or Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So the first thing you think about, this is Jesus now. He's God and he's man. He's fully God and fully man in this interesting and hard to really grasp way. But it starts by saying Jesus was tired from a journey. That's just something to think about. That Jesus was tired. Because I think a lot of times, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today in spirit and in truth is how little truth we like to bring up, especially at church when we're together. You know, I think it's very interesting to me because we want, you know, I got this, you know. This starts with Jesus, who's perfect, being tired. Okay? So just hold on to that. And he starts this whole kind of interaction by asking her for something. So God is tired, and he's saying, hey, can you give me something? That's an interesting place for a conversation to start. So keep in mind, we're going to look for how we might walk through this, how we might see ourselves, how we encounter God in an unexpected place, because I'm going to, I'm going to posit that this woman was not going, I'm going to go get water, and I'll probably encounter God right now. Because that's not how you think. You know, I mean, maybe you do, but I don't usually think that way. You know, I kind of go, I need water, so I'm going to go get it or whatever. But then Jesus is there. So now she's encountering, she's doing something she needs to do, and she's encountering God in that place. This happens to us, okay? But this is interesting because it tells you when she comes. She came at noon, which is not the time that people would come to get water. They would come early when it was cooler. So she's coming at noon, which means she's coming at a time when she's when other people aren't there. So she's coming to get water that she needs at a time when other people aren't there. And this is included as an important thing because you need to know that she's starting from a position of being an outcast. And for the sake of some of my family that's visiting and all of us that are from Atlanta, it's not outcast in a cool way like... This, 
it's not this kind of outcast. <laughs> it's spelled with a C. <laughs> it's not, so she's an outcast of the community, which means she's not um, looked well upon. She's looked down upon. We don't quite know why yet, but she's staying out of other people's business or wanting pe- maybe wanting them to stay out of hers. So she's coming at a time, I think, maybe to not be bothered by other people's judgmental attitudes. And I think that oftentimes we like to avoid other people's judgmental attitudes. But she's not an outcast to Jesus because he engages her. He could have just sat there and let her do her thing, and then we wouldn't be reading about it right now. He chooses to engage. He starts this. So no matter how much of an outcast you might be, I didn't say feel. I said be. Some of us are outcasts, you know. Some of us just feel like outcasts, but to all of you, (laughs) I say, this is how God interacts. He asks you something. He doesn't ignore you. You know, sometimes we will just ignore outcast people to maybe, I don't want to embarrass them, so I'm going to pretend like they're not here. You know, he doesn't do that. He engages her. And he asks her for a drink of water, and the Samaritan woman um, Or I have written here, how do you think she felt about being engaged without being criticized? See, when you're around a lot of critical people all the time, you're used to being criticized. He's already on the defensive. So he's like, hey, why don't, why don't you give me some water? And she's like, wait a second. And so you hear what she responds. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then and mine says in parentheses, for Jews did, do not associate with Samaritans. Yeah, same thing. So... This is an interesting thing. So she's a social outcast already. But now she can tell somehow he's Jewish and she's a Samaritan, which now there's a religious and ethnic outcast situation that she's going, like, how are you even, (laughs) this isn't right. Because Samaritans were looked down on Jews. We've talked about this before. It's kind of a racial, so it's like an ethnic thing, meaning they would consider them half-breeds. And it was also a religious thing, which gets, we get into that in a second. But I think when we come to church, or when we're around church, many of us probably feel looked down upon by a more spiritual person. Have you ever felt like that before? People look down on you, you know. Or some of us have experienced being looked down upon for racial reasons. Maybe you're different, this kind of thing. And because of this uh, Jewish-Samaritan thing, Some Jewish people were holding to the belief that, like, her water would be considered unclean in this Jewish law to to some of the people of the time. Like, that's not to say it was universal. It's not in the Bible anywhere. But these different Pharisees and stuff, these different, they had different kind of ways they walked out their faith. And to some people, even asking her for water was like, you can't have my water. It would make you unclean. So it's a really weird question for him to start with. But again, you have to go back. This is Jesus now. He's perfect and he's right. So he's asking her for water. So what does this mean? And Jesus doesn't look down on her, but she responds with another question. And I was actually thinking about this. Have you ever asked Jesus any questions before? I think we do, but have you ever expected him to answer them? You know, like, why are why is this? Or why are you doing that? Why is this happening? You know, if you don't feel like, Again, in spirit and in truth. That's what we're going to get to. So I'm going to say, when you pray or when you're talking, she's praying here. She's talking to God, okay? It's a simple definition. 
She's asking honest questions. You don't need to pretty up how you're going to pray when you talk to God, okay? She's like, what you're saying makes no sense to me, so why are you asking me to do that, you know? Um, Jesus answered her, well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, meaning himself, and he would have given you living water. Sir, uh, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Living water would have meant like flowing water. Like, I, you know, like this is a well, but like moving water is even better. And he's like, I, I could have given you moving water or whatever. But he's also starting to turn up the notch. You know, we got a mundane situation going on. This is like something you had to do, you know. We live in such a nice society. There's not a whole lot of things we have to do like this. And like, like you just turn a tap and the water comes on. You know what I mean? They had to go get it every day. Even like rich people. And now they would have people to do it for them. But like nobody had water in their house pretty much. You know what I mean? And so I don't know. Maybe it's like getting new tires on your That's not a whatever. Yeah. Maybe getting new tires on your car. And you're like, well, I got everlasting tires. And like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? But, but all of a sudden, you're kind of turning from being just like, we're talking about something. I was trying to think of something just totally mundane. No offense if you're a tire person. But uh, the, uh, like, <laughs> putting new tires on your car is the most frustrating expense because it's like it, you, could, you leave in the exact same condition that you went there, basically. You don't go like, man, that's a lot different. It's like, nope. It feels exactly the same. You just have 400 or 500 of my dollars or 1,200 if you're Jason and you have a nice tire. <laughs> anyway, um, but he started to turn up the knots. like, we're not talking about just normal tires now. We're not talking about just water. We're talking about living water, like real water. And she was like, she's still not quite getting it, but he's, this is how Jesus likes to operate. A lot of times when um, we encounter Jesus, it starts with something very mundane, okay? I think oftentimes we miss... And we'll look at this at Christmas, how in one way of looking, what God is doing is changing the world here. But it looks very mundane. Like, you know, like, there's no room in the inn. You could have been one of those people staying there. You see what I'm saying? And it's not like an inn like we think of today, but just think about that. You know, let's imagine it is a room like, like you're in room 300 when Jesus isn't. He's in the parking garage being born. You see what I'm saying? Changing the world. You're just in a hotel. You know what I mean? That's how God does things a lot. There are times he parts the sea, and there are times that he's, you know, but a lot of the time, I got living water. What are you talking about? You know, we don't need to miss that, you know, or elevate these things in these weird ways. She starts asking him questions. Now we're getting into this religious debate situation because um, she knows she's a, she still knows he's a Jewish guy, and she's a Samaritan woman, so... Not only is it ethnically weird and religiously weird, and he's a man and she's a woman, so it's, like, not proper, you know? Like, he shouldn't be talking to her. There's that part, too. So there's a social thing, religious thing, social barrier, religious barrier, ethnic barrier. There's a lot of barriers here that Jesus is just skipping. So she's like, let's clarify some of this stuff. And so Jesus is fine to do that. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. Jeff said the other day, he was like, Jesus could have answered, yes. He doesn't, but, I mean, maybe he does, but he, he's like, he could have just gone, yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. But he, he engages, and part of this is because of when we say ethnically different, Samaritans were like half Jewish, and they'd kind of descended and gone a different way, and so this is starting to be a challenge. Like, I know you're Jewish, so are you saying you're greater than, you know, and 
because they have their own views of what's going to happen. They even had their own hopes for a Messiah figure. There's a lot of stuff about that. And so she's starting this kind of, you know, I know you're a Jew, so what are you trying to say and what am I trying to say? And you, we get it deeper into that. Um, so are you greater than Jacob? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them the spring of living water that will well up for, or the spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he doesn't even really engage with this, this maybe this jab. He's like, I'm still talking about the water here, and you're missing it. You know, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. All right, if you got it, I would like to have it. Thank you. So that I won't get thirsty and keep having to come here to draw water. But her view is still in the mundane. You know, I can't quite see what you're talking about. This is when Jesus starts to poke back a little bit, as he tends to. Many of us know that. He told her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you have now, you have, wait, the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So this is a that's a delicate situation right there. That might even be delicate in our day and age, which is completely full of divorce and all this kind of thing. But definitely back then, that, that was a messed up situation. So you can't overlook the fact of how significant that is and how Jesus just agrees with her. He's like, you told the truth right then. You didn't lie. Remember, we're talking spirit and in truth and spirit and in truth. She could have gone, well, you know, she could have made something up. I don't know. She doesn't. She just tells him the truth. And Jesus knows that, and he responds positively to it. And he doesn't say, because you're such a jerk and you messed up about it, da, 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 because we don't actually even know why she had five husbands. It could be that five of them have died. It doesn't, you know, it could be that, um, that she's been divorced five times. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, little bit, uh, a little bit ambiguous, but no matter what, uh, if you marry five people and they all end up dead, even if that happens now, people are going to be like, something's, something's wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to read well on your dating app. You know, <laughs> all five of my former husbands are dead. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to stay away from that. So, but back then, so if they'd all died, that's very bad. Like, she would be viewed as cursed, okay? But if she's divorced them all or they've divorced her, then there's something wrong with her because there's a reason these guys are going, no, you know? So, you know, but it's weird how frank she is with it and how Jesus agrees but reveals that he already knows. This is the key piece to keep in mind. So oftentimes we come to church, we think we can hide everything that's messed up as if that's a good idea, which it isn't. But then when you, you start to take that into prayers with God, like, well, you know, God, like as if and he'll sometimes remind you how he knows everything that's going on, you know, because you can hide from other people. OK, I can't force you when you get together with the other believers in the body of Christ, to be an honest person. That would be a really good idea. We've been going through this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, in our house churches, and it's a lot about this, that God will even let you be fake. Okay? And we like to be fake because that's safe, and I can control that. I can control how you think about me. This is part of what Pastor Jeff was talking about social media last year. It's like, that's like, puts that on steroids, like, my marriage looks awesome, all these things, but I'm actually getting divorced on the side. But if you just go by online, it's this amazing thing. It's like, that's not real. You know, it's fake. 
I would call it lying, but that adds extra meaning that people don't like. But it's being dishonest. It's not being honest. And it's not really like you're being dishonest with other people. The real problem is you're being dishonest with yourself to the point that you start to believe it. And then you forget who you even are. And in spirit and in truth, where our worship is, doesn't work there. You're, you're not, God doesn't move. He'll let you be fake. But he doesn't move with that. He moves with you. If you leave you, it's your choice. He's still wanting to talk to you. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? But our culture is so made up of this, like, fake version of us because we're worried about other people judging us or something. I don't know, you know. But you can hide. But you can't hide um, from Jesus. And this is not should not be a surprise. I think we oftentimes like to, you know, act as though we can, because people aren't, you can't even hide from everybody, like your parents, and like, there's people that know a lot of what's going on, a lot more than you think, but it shouldn't come as a shock that if God is creator, is all-knowing, and he made everything, that he knows everything about our lives, you know, in a good way and in a bad way, we're just saying if he's doing all this stuff with the valley, you know, da, 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 da. right near that is like, he knows every hair on your head and all this kind of thing, um, so why do we, I put this here? Why do we think we could come to worship God with anything but honesty? And why would we do that? It's kind of silly, but we do it all the time. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. So her response gets Jesus' attention. Our answer, but then she's still stuck in this thing. Like, I'm going to, you know, our ancestors, the Samaritan ones, worshipped on this mountain where you are right now, guy. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she's still challenging this whole religious thing, right? Jesus responds, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming, hear this, a time is coming, this is 2,000 years ago now, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the, in the Spirit and in, tr- and in truth. That's our verse, for, or ch- our title for today. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and the worshipers must worship Him in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that a Messiah called Christ is coming. So she's kind of getting it now. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. There's a lot of hope in the future. And he just said, a time is coming and has now come. So she's almost there. We're getting there, you see. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I'm that guy that you're looking for. And so you see that they move from this religious debate into identification of Jesus as the Messiah, which is the Savior of the Jewish people, the Savior of the world, and, the, and God, the King of the universe. Craig Keener talks about it this way. Jesus isn't neutral in this debate they're having. He's like, no, the Jews are right, but that's not the ultimate. He says this, Jesus is not neutral. He accepts the correctness of the Jewish position, although he does not allow that to remain as an ultimate barrier to ethnic reconciliation. He's saying, they're right, but it's leading to 
me and what I'm doing, and that's going to reach out to everyone, including you, the social outcast, you, the racial outcast, you, the least religious person, the religious outcast. He's reaching out to all of us. And that's where we find these words, spirit and truth. And I'm going to give a brief little definition about this. It's the kind of worship that we, that is the spirit and truth is the kind of worship that happens when we properly see Jesus for who he is. Like I said, you can improperly respond to Jesus all the time. People do, and they will. And we shouldn't be surprised by that, you know. But when you get it, you get it. And you respond like this. Spirit, I think, is this. In spirit is knowing that we're not just talking about mundane things anymore. When you encounter God in a place, you encounter Jesus moving in a place like maybe getting tires or something, you realize God is doing something eternal here. And God, the creator, can do that anywhere. The Holy Spirit is, is active, okay? And so seeing the potential of what God can use anything for is, you know, part of this. But the Spirit is knowing that we're actually connecting with God. It's not just a little, it's not a chant for me. It's not a mantra that I'm going to, you know, uh, repeat enough till I have a spiritual experience or something like that. You see what I'm saying? We're actually meeting with God, with the personality. There's an interaction here. Deeper than maybe an interpersonal human interaction, but still of a similar sort. It's relational. You're not connecting with God inside yourself. You see what I'm saying? Or the divine within. It's not that kind of thing. You, as a created being, are connecting to the creator, God. This is all different stuff. Like our spiritual language of our age mixes these things up a lot. But you're actually connecting with God. So in spirit, and it's tying into this long history. We have a Bible for a reason. Part of this is so that we can see an alternate history of the world. And I don't just mean um, timelines and things like that. I mean like um, that there's stories we believe. I mean humans do this. Sometimes we call them myths. Sometimes we call them movies. <laughs> Sometimes we call them all sorts of things. But it's how we un- understand and interpret reality. We have one as Christians. It's the Bible. And it tells us how creation was done, what's happened since this fall of man, this introduction of sin, and Jesus as the Redeemer coming. But it's an entire chronicle. If you count up the pages, a lot of it is the story of Israel being elected as a people and God sending his son through them. And this in-spirit part is connecting with that. Saying, yes, this is the true history here. You see what I'm saying? And it leads to an ultimate end that we can read ahead and see, which is quite good. You know, our situation is to live with the knowledge of that and the truth of where we're going and not having to worry so much or be that way. And so suddenly things like water and mundane things can seem very deep. These are words we like to use. Like all of a sudden God is touching something or touching a moment, or touching a situation, this kind of thing. But I also think this is the one I want to hit on a little bit today. Because I think you would expect, you go to church, you're like, of course, spirit, I get it. God stuff, church, you know, churchy things, spirit, done, understood, you know. This is one I want to touch on. I want to end this whole spirit and truth thing on this word truth. Um, and it's not just about what I was talking about earlier, about us lying to ourselves. It is about that, but it's not just about that. Because I think that... Um, When the Bible talks about God knowing every hair on your head and other things like that, if God takes care of flowers, he's going to take care of us and all that kind of thing. God's 
story is as big and epic as possible, like I was just talking about. Connecting with the eternal, with spirit, these are all really big words. But the truth part, I think, starts to reach into very ultimately personal ways. And I think it matters in a lot of different ways. Because God knows who he made pretty well. (laughs) That's me being joking. He knows exactly who he made, okay? And he made you exactly how he wanted. We don't always like that. And we might even react against it. And we start to put up these barriers between ourselves and God and ourselves and other people. And they're not always our fault. You know, we don't know the story of this woman. But she has a lot of barriers, all right? And these barriers aren't all maybe done by her. You know, it's like, well, you, well, you know, of course you're an outcast. You're, you've done all the, you know, da 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 Sometimes you're an outcast because of something somebody else did to you. But we find ourselves with barriers. So we think that to come to other people, i got to put up this barrier. You know, Pastor Jeff used to always talk about people being real at the bar and then fake at church. And I'm like, what are we talking about? You know? Like, that's the place, life. You're, and I'm not saying if you go to a bar, you're an evil person. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, like, you know, you're going to be real there and then not real here. Then we're doing something wrong. And I don't mean we as in everybody standing up here. I kind of mean we as in us. I don't know what that is. So if you're coming here and you think, oh, i got to pretend like i got all this stuff figured out, that's not how this works. And I'm going to say as a person standing up, the pastor of this church, that's not how we're going to act. This, we are not going to be people who wallow in these barriers. At the same time, we're accepting the freedom from these barriers that Jesus gives, but we aren't going to pretend like they're not there. I've realized this week, this is not a news flash, but it just kind of stuck with me. I was like, you know, we're all kind of jacked up in, in like a lot of ways. And some of us are like really jacked up, you know. And so when I say in truth, and you hear Pastor Gary up here a couple weeks ago, who did a great job, all right? And he's laying out these are kinds of expressions that come forth in people throughout history when they encounter God. And they're represented in these Hebrew words. And he's talking about, and he did such a great job of saying, these are options. Like you said, like colors you could paint with or things like that, you know, artsy-fartsy stuff. Like, you know, when you, you know, you can worship God with any of these kind of things. And then I know some of you were like, oh, they're going to make me dance now? You know, and the answer is, no, I'm not going to ever make you do anything, you know, because I don't really, I don't want to say I don't care, because I do care, but, like, the thing is, it doesn't matter to me that way. That's playing into that old barrier thing. You're like, oh, you think the, if you're spiritual, you dance, and if you're not spiritual, you don't. I go, no, you can think that way if you want. I'm not thinking that way, okay? And I would encourage you to not think that way. Because we can start to think that, like, worship such a narrow definition again. That's why I like the broadness of correctly responding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because that includes all of everything all the time. You're not just when you're sitting in a blue chair here or standing and, well, I guess I better raise my hands because that's what I want to look spiritual. You know, and I'm not saying this is you guys and I don't do that. I, mean, I told you all that story a couple weeks ago when felt, Gary felt like the Lord told him to kneel and that whole thing and I felt the same thing and then I didn't do it because I was doing something else and then I came back and he was kneeling. I was like, oh, crap, now everybody will think I'm copying Gary, you know? And so... It gets us all, but the thing is, that's not the life that this truth is, us truthfully responding. And I don't care what it looks like. It just needs to be real. Okay, so it's like, if you don't ever want to raise your hands, it doesn't matter to me. That's between you and God. I would say in that regard, don't like 
pre-decide things. Because uh, this, this is experience talking. This is not like totally biblical in the sense of like I can quote you a verse. But I have found a very positive correlation in my Christian experience with people saying, I would never, and then they say something, and then God having them do that later. Okay? Not 100%. I said positive correlation. Okay? So it's like, I would never pray for anyone because that makes me feel weird, and then now you're on the prayer team 10 years later or whatever. You know, God likes to do that. I think it might be a sense of humor. I think it's funny, you know, but <laughs> I would, my, my advice to you would be around these sorts of things is don't, don't do that unless you want to make a list of what you're going to do, you know. <laughs> but, but the main thing is it about it being in truth, in truth. You're not here to perform. We're not here to, we're not living. I don't even talk about here. We're not living as Christian people to impress other people. Or to put out a fake version of ourselves that seems spiritual. You know, sometimes you don't feel spiritual. Sometimes Jesus, this whole story started with Jesus being tired. (laughs) He's comfortable enough to admit that. Or at least it's included in here. Jesus is tired. And we think, well, I should never admit to anything like that. That might not be spiritual. Or, and you see the same stuff people struggled with back then. Like, Jesus, this guy's really messed up. Is it because his mom sinned or his dad? Or is this because of his sin? And Jesus goes, like, what are you talking about? We do this kind of stuff all the time. And I want to talk to you. This is a, I'm not going to use any of the rest of this. The, uh, I want to share a little bit just briefly. And I mean briefly. So Kevin, or Kevin. Justin, come on up here. We're going to sing a song at the end because I wrote a song that's the... Uh... Actually, Kayla, do you have a, a song to sing at the end? No. Okay, good. I'm going to share this. This uh, I wrote this song years ago, this uh, Is This Not the Christ song, which is literally about this moment. So I figured, well, if I'm going to preach on it, I might as well sing the song. So um, it's about this reaction that happens. You don't expect... So the whole thing is this. You don't expect God to be in the place you're about to go and you find out he is. And then God does something that opens you up in a different way that's like, this is not what I was expecting. And when you just get a taste of a touch of the fact of how much God loves you, what we were just singing, like, how much more does he love you? How much more and all this kind of stuff? We know that's true, but you don't always feel it, all right? You don't always, you're not always there, you know? And I uh, have had moments in my life where you just get a, a taste of that. And I grew up, like I have some of my families here visiting, so they keep me honest. I grew, grew up in a very Christian environment. You know, it wasn't like back when I was young and abused, and then I got into drugs, and then I found out that there was nothing. I mean, this is all, I'm not making fun of people that have that story. Like, I have the kind of testimony that's like, yeah, I kind of grew up and went to church, and then I kind of went to more church, and then I kind of work at a church. So, yeah, that's really, that's great, isn't it? You know, but... <laughs> You know, and Pastor Jeff would be up here like, well, you know, I went through a phase where there was less of that. And, you know, and so you can sit there as a person like me and think, like, well, these kind of people can talk from experience. Like, they've tried all the stuff, and they can say, that doesn't work. Like, take my word for it, you know. I was kind of, like, not there, you know. I grew up in church, and I was around, like, real believing people that, like, actually know Jesus and love him and all this kind of stuff and live it out and were nice to me and everybody else. I don't remember a point in my life where I was like, I don't know about all this God business. It seems kind of fake. I didn't have that kind of thing. And even the church culture that I think I grew up in, I mean, everybody has issues. Look, here's the other thing, guys. When there's a church, which means a group of believers, there's issues because there's other people there. So if you're imagining ever, like, if I could just find a perfect church, that doesn't exist. 
And if you think you find it, you probably shouldn't join because you'll mess it up. But the, uh, um, the point is, I think that in general, the church we grew up in was extremely healthy as far as that goes. You know, like, so I didn't have this deep missing knowledge of God. Well, like, there's a God-shaped hole in every heart. You know, I was kind of like, yeah, been there, done that, you know, all that kind of thing. And then we'd go to these youth trips, and there's like, this is the Holy Spirit. Like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. It's kind of like the Bible. I mean, am I surprised by this? No, you know. Do you encounter weird things? Well, sure, but I mean, like, whatever. You know, God's, I don't know. I, I had a real knowledge of who God was, all right? You know, that's all I'm trying to say. But, I just said, we're all jacked up. I was kind of jacked up on the inside. Especially, and I've told this before, so it's not news, but especially like the first year of college, I was jacked up. And it made it worse to me that I was involved in church because everybody would stand and be like, last year I was like partying all the time and I almost committed suicide. And then I met Jesus and now my life is like light and everything's great. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm already on that step and I'm not feeling the same. I'm kind of like the part of you. So like, what did I do wrong? So immediately I'm like, I must have done something wrong because... This doesn't work for me, okay? And I decided that it was my fault or something like that. I don't know. And then um, when I went to, I've told you all this before, like I visited this place called the Brownsville Revival, which was not any, it was an important thing. I'm not going to downplay it um, at all because it was incredibly significant. But I do think this, like, actually I'm going to show a clip of it in a second. The... uh, I don't think it had anything to do with that building or those people or that time. But it was in a building, and there were people there. And it happened at a time, you know. But I don't think you can put puzzles together like that for when God wants to do things. Because God does what he does, and I don't know why, okay? And I've been honest about this before. It kind of is annoying to me. As a person who likes, like, I have OCD. I like to control things. Like, let's, and at this point, we'll stand up and receive from God, and that will be great. But it doesn't work like that, you see. I mean, when I went there for the first time, and I was in a good place, like, I had known God. We got the Holy Spirit thing. Like, it's like we've got the checklist. You know, everybody else, life jacked up. Meet Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. Life has changed, and everything's awesome. Got it. I got all those things. Life is not awesome. Does anyone else have a list I can use? You know, it was like that kind of thing. And then I walk into this building, and merely walking through the door, God decides to change all of that for this moment. I have this touch where it's like, like this woman has, where you're like, oh my gosh, because <laughs> you see this in her reaction. Once she realizes what's going on, she does this. Just then, this is right after he says, I am he. I think something happens right then. She, just then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. Because they said, you're not supposed to do that. No one asked, what do you want or what are you talking with her? Because they'd realized by then, don't mess with him. You see this. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And so she leaves the thing she was doing. Because now she's got the water, right? Well, I had an experience kind of like this. And I'm going to show you, because this is, this is an interesting thing. Um, spirit and in truth. I touched something when I was there that was a spirit thing. And I had a truthful response to it because I was kind of desperate, I think. And I've noticed, again, positive correlation 
between uh, how hungry you are and how appealing food looks. You know what I mean? Like, if you're, like, really hungry and you go, well, I don't usually like Fritos, but they look really good, right? You see what I'm saying? The hunger is the greatest. If, when people are really hungry, you get less and less specific about what you're going to eat, all right? And if you get really hungry, that's re- it just goes up, okay? I was in that kind of spot myself, and when God did something like that to me, I reacted in ways that were... Uh, I don't know, not the sort of thing I would think. And here's the interesting thing. This church was big, and they had cameras and stuff, and and they videoed a lot of the services, and they would, like, have videotapes if people wanted them. And now it's, like, 20 years later and whatever, and they're on YouTube. A lot of people take those tapes and put them on YouTube, and sometimes I would go back and watch them. And then sometimes I was in them because I was in the crowd. And... A couple people found this one. They're like, hey, that's you, isn't it? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, let's not watch that anymore. But uh, I'm going to show it to you today because I think it's important because, if, like, I didn't, I tend to be, uh, I can be excitable, I guess, but um, I didn't know anyone was looking at me. And I think you can see in this moment an authentic reaction of what it looks like when God touches somebody this way or when you encounter God this way. Um, this wasn't the exact moment of me walking through the door. This was like later, you know, it was a different thing. But go ahead and hit play on this. I'll narrate it. You can stop for one second. So this is like low quality. It's an old video. This guy was named Lyndall Cooley. He was the, uh, the worship leader. And, uh, This was like in the middle of a service. Like sometimes they would start the videos late. He's looking a little drunk. This is very 90s fashion and everything. This is an old delirious song called The Happy Song. But then he starts singing the words to Amazing Grace in an extremely drunken fashion. So I'm just going to let you play so you see what this was like. And it was loud. It was, it was, it was big, big and loud. <laughs> I said he looked drunk, so I mean... I'll tell you, he doesn't care what he looks like. I'll tell you. I once was lost, but now I'm found. He's just expressing this joy right now. You know? And I'm not saying you got to act like this guy. I'm just saying that's what he looks like when he's doing it. And he doesn't care what we think. You know. So here's the crowd. So there's a lot of people there. And somehow out of this This little Brian But here's a moment, watch this All of a sudden he's like <laughs> Now this is a silly sound of the song, guys 
And I don't know anybody's looking at me, and I don't even, I don't care. I know I look silly there, all right? It's not like I'm not, like, not aware of that. I could sing an ending songs of how he saved my soul. Anyway, put up that that shot really quick. Oh, whoa, quick. All right, go ahead, back. The, uh, so someone sent me this video. They're like, hey, we found this video of Brownsville that you're in. And uh, at first I was like, ah, let's not watch that because that's kind of embarrassing, you know. But then Tyler, it was actually Tyler. He plays bass here sometimes. He's like, hey, I found this video. You're, that's you, isn't it? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I look the same. I have more hair then, but I'm wearing a Florida. That's me, you know. And uh, then this weird thing started happening. He was like, I started showing this to people. And I'm like, why would you do that? Because first off, I don't think it's, it's not high quality. Second off, like, that's not a good really picture. Like, if you're like, why were you going to this place? Like, that wasn't a good exact moment to get the vibe, all right? You know, they have CDs that they actually made, stuff like that. You might be like, oh, this is pretty cool, you know? But, like, uh, so anyway, you might have to Google this and check it out yourself because that's not exactly indicative of the whole thing. But it does indicate a couple things. One, these people had had this kind of experience, like this woman had had, and they didn't care anymore. And I didn't care anymore. And this moment somehow got captured. And here it is all these years later on YouTube and stuff. And she was like, I started showing this to people. And I was like, why in the world would you do that? And he's like, man, it's powerful. And I was like, okay. But I still was kind of embarrassed. And then I started getting these other texts from these people he was showing it to. And they're like, I saw this video of you at Brownsville. It was powerful. I'm like, it's such a weird word for people to keep using and sending about that, you know, to me. I mean, maybe you're like, I get it. I think it was powerful. But when you're that guy, you're like, yeah, I'd rather you not watch that, you know. But I do think this, that I'm putting words in their mouth. But you see the end of this story. This woman's going about her daily business. She's a loser by other people's accounts. She probably thinks of herself as a loser. She's not in a good place. She's looked down upon. She's looked, She's not of the right even religious group. She's the wrong person. She shouldn't be being talked to by a man. All of a sudden, she encounters God unexpectedly. And when she sees who he is and how he feels towards her, that changes everything to the point that she doesn't even care anymore about what she was even there to do. And her reaction is to go tell everybody else about it. So now... This is the person who is hiding from everybody, is telling everybody about Jesus. That's like, again, we're going with some simple definitions today. Worship is correctly responding to Jesus. Prayer is talking to God like she was doing. Evangelism is telling other people about Jesus. That's it. She does that, and it works, and they come. We're skipping that part at the end, but they come, and they go, wow, she's right. So in her situation... This kind of 180'd her life in an instant. And people look different when that happens. And what I think those people were telling me is when they saw this video and they saw that sh- this picture of me reacting that way, they were saying, wow, he got it. I'm not saying I always get it. I hope I can live there. But um, I think that's what it does. When we see this in other people, something powerful happens. So I'm going to sing this song we wrote couple years ago 
It's about this, it's about this story about the woman meeting Jesus at the well in an unexpected place, in an unexpected time, and having an unexpected uh, interaction that changes who she is and how she feels about herself and everything. So let me sing this for you.
I added that bridge part, which I think is from Psalm 24. It's from a Psalm, I think it's Psalm 24, which says, open up ancient gates and open up, or ancient gates and ancient doors so the king of glory may come in. These barriers we feel, these barriers that are real in our lives, these things that make us not be truthful, to be fake versions of ourselves, are like doors, and some of them are so deep inside of us, like they were inside of me, that they're ancient. We can't even tell they're different from our identity. I'm saying this is part of me. And we keep those closed to keep out other people from hurting us, but they also keep out God. And in these kind of places... We need to pray that God would open these ancient gates and these ancient doors, ancient to us, so that the King of glory may come in. So, Father, I pray as we conclude this series on worship, that we would, in fact, live as people that worship you in spirit and in truth, that we would open up to you and correctly respond to you, opening up ancient doors that you might heal ancient wounds. Well, God, I pray for interaction that you would surprise us in our daily lives with your presence and your activity, that you would surprise us by how good you are, how merciful you are, that you would love even us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And as we go from this place, I pray that we would go forth, that we would be changed to be more like you, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love ourselves. But most of all, Lord, help us to be people who worship you and in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to come spend time, we're going to end now. So if you need to go get your kids, go ahead and get them.